This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend MetLife Stadium for you guys. Here's your host. Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com, recording from the Vivid Seat studio with a reminder to use promo code OVERTIME anytime you use the Vivid Seats mobile app for 10% off up to $100. That is promo code OVERTIME. Support the pod. Appreciate you guys listening today. We are talking with former co-host, Longest tenured member at TOJ, Mr. Dalbinasario. We're going to uh, talk everything about the Jets' 0-2 start and all the recent hijinks around their team. It's been a very eventful season and not the best way so far, so we're going to vent it out with Dalbin. Friendly reminder, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes, also available on Spotify and Google Play. Turn on the Jets.com. Follow Dalbin on Twitter at DA underscore Sario. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Caparoso. And with that, let's uh, let's talk about our own two Jets, who are coming off an ugly, <laughs> boring twenty-point uh, loss to the Cleveland Browns on Monday Night Football, uh, and gearing up to play the best team in the NFL, in the New England Patriots, on the road with Luke Falk at quarterback. Dalvin, how are you doing? <laughs> oh man, it's just—it's exactly how we drew it up, right? Like we all kind of said, "Yeah, man, listen, you know, Luke Falk is our Nick Foles," and. When Sam Darnold goes down, he's about to go on this run. Listen, man, I, I'm really glad to be back on with you. It has been by far the craziest start to a season since, I mean, since Gino got punched in the jaw, right? I think, that, I think, I think that's got to be up there. So, but I'm ready to vent this out with you and hopefully feel better about it at the end of it. Yeah, this in terms of by week three to have this many negative and weird things happen uh, in one season so far has been kind of crazy. And again, I thought the Jets were going to be 8-8. Eight and eight. I don't remember your exact preseason prediction, but I'm pretty sure it was right around a similar record to that. A uh, lot yeah. of optimism and excitement, understandably so, after you know an ambitious offseason and a lot of change and uh, having a young quarterback and, you know, Having Darnold is sort of the default thing to get excited about, even if the team is struggling. And then, you know, they were up sixteen nothing in the third quarter against Buffalo, and it it's been sort of a steady stream of crap, you know, since then. I think with the Cleveland game, I want to qualify all this with. I get that Adam Gase and the Jets coaching staff has been dealt a crap hand. I really do. Like, it's not ideal to have to play your backup quarterback and then have him, you know, leave in the second quarter and have to go to your third string quarterback and deal with some of the other injuries that the Jets are dealing with. Although, again, injuries can be par for the course for NFL teams. So this is not an ideal situation. Um, I am still a big believer, however, that this is not a hall pass season. If this was a rookie head coach, it's a hall pass season. Not for a guy in his fourth year as a head coach. And Trevor Simeon was Adam Gase's handpicked backup quarterback because he was confident that the offense would not miss a beat with him in his own words in that article that uh, Connor Hughes shared. And Simeon played, I don't know, four or five series and had negative 14 passing yards and was three for six for zero yards uh, on the stat sheet. So they weren't doing anything with Simeon. 
they weren't productive with Darnold in week one, although he probably was only at about 85 or 90 percent, in his own words, on 100 percent. And then with Falk, I mean, it was kind of like garbage time. And, you know, what can you expect? And he put up some decent numbers, but really when the game was was out of reach. So, look, do I think that Adam Gase should be able to go into New England and win with Luke Falk? No. Do I think he should even really be able to cover? Would not surprise me if they didn't cover, even as 20-point underdogs. The Jets haven't scored a touchdown in New England since 2015, which I had one of those things I did like triple-check like six times, but it actually is true. What I do expect is a recognition of their situation uh, and some creativity with the offensive game plan. Try some things outside of the box. You cannot line up and just play New England straightforward, which I, it looked like was what the Jets' initial approach was going to be versus Cleveland. And, you know, the mistakes that they were making many times were talent-based, but a lot of times just looked like poor coaching and people missing assignments and, you know, run, run, three-yard check down, run, run, three-yard check down. So I think both things are true at once. I think the Jets are in a dire situation right now from a talent perspective. I also don't think this coaching staff, particularly the offensive coaching staff, has done a good job at all through two weeks. I do want to give credit to Greg Williams for a really right. sound defensive game plan against Cleveland that out really outside of one or two plays, uh, I think did a nice job. But you know, what were your takeaways from that Cleveland game overall, which was kind of like over from the first second? Yeah, I mean, so two things that you you I know, and I'll jump into that question. But first, there's the, you mentioned two things that I really found interesting. Even when I was doing, you know, as I'm working on the the TOJ week QB for this week, um, you know, you look at Darnold that was averaging, and I know this is one of your favorite stats. It's the average, uh, the average depth of target, whether completed or not. Sam was averaging five point four. Luke Folk averaged five point zero. Trevor Simeon averaged six point eight. Right. So, and this is, you know, again, there's only on six attempts. So when you look at Darnold and Falk, who have had the most time in Gase's system, and remember, <clears throat> there was the reason Gase picked, brought in Luke Falk also was because he felt that Luke Falk knew the system. He was with him in Miami last year. He was a guy that, again, he felt he could step in if something happened to Darnold and Simeon. With that said, Adam Gase is now two weeks into having the crappiest, the crappiest offensive system, offensive game plan that I can remember. And the only reason why I think a lot of people, like you, a lot of people want to give him a pass is because a lot of people want to try and sugarcoat that this was a guy who was a bad coach in Miami, was brought in, and there's no way that people were watching the 16-0 Buffalo game thinking, oh my God, yeah, we're totally knocking, you know, knocking the hinges off the door versus Buffalo. It wasn't happening. What was happening was that because we had the best player on the field in Le'Veon Bell, then suddenly that's what happens when you play, when you're playing teams that you're evenly matched. With Cincinnati, with Cleveland, sorry, with Cleveland, the interesting thing is that, again, you have Le'Veon Bell, but you're not the, you don't have the best player on the field, although Beckham is the best player on the field. And Adam Gates elected to never send help for Miles Garrett. So Miles Garrett could have practically set the single game sack record on Kelvin Beecham. And Adam Gates never adjusted. And I think it's fascinating to me to see that if this was a rookie coach, right, Joe? Like if this was, if this was, uh, Matt Rule's second game, right? Second pro game being a head coach. I can live with some of these mistakes because I'm like, you know what? He's a rookie coach. It's hard for rookie coaches to adjust, blah, 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 blah. If it was Cliff Kingsbury, I can live with it. I can't live with it when you've been 
a coach for this long. And Adam Gase has been a head coach for so long. These are rookie mistakes. I'm sorry that you thought, that, like, yes, I'm sorry Sam Darnold got mono, and I'm sorry that Le'Veon Bell hurt his shoulder but still balled out of his mind on Friday, on Monday against the Browns. But you chose to leave Kelvin Beecham on an island with Miles Garrett, and that's my takeaway from that game. It isn't so much that, okay, you played Buffalo and Ed Oliver and Shaq Lawson and Tremaine Edmonds and those guys really got after you. They blitzed Sam Darnold five times on, on 41 attempts. I get that, right? But then you go into Cleveland, and Cleveland had no inclination. Cleveland only blitzed Luke Falk and Trevor Simeon 11 times. They only blitzed them 11 times. They were content with playing you straight up, and you never decided to send help to Miles Garrett. And I think for me, it just confirms everything that we had concerns about with Adam Gates, right? Like, you and I talked about this a lot over the summer. Like, he didn't suddenly become a good coach overnight, Joe. And on Monday, it was it was almost it was it was apparent from the from the whistle because you know what a good coach even under man has his team has his team competitive and greg williams had his unit competitive adam gates did not in today's nfl and particularly if you have a reputation of being a mastermind or a quarterback guru which we heard like booger mcfarland say every like two seconds on the broadcast you need to find a way to score some points there and I don't care what the injury situation is with today's NFL. It's ridiculous to score one touchdown in two weeks, particularly in the first two weeks of the season. Jacksonville lost right. Nick Foles in the first quarter. They're starting a sixth round rookie quarterback and they've scored three touchdowns over two games. The Jets have scored one. Uh, other teams have dealt with ridiculous situations. We're about to see a lot of teams play their backup quarterbacks, Pittsburgh, new Orleans, mm-hmm. um, Carolina, uh, I get it. I don't expect the Jets to have a top 10, top 15, even top 20 offense. But you got to find a way to score a couple touchdowns in right. today's NFL, even if you are banged up at the quarterback position. Uh, you know, this has not been an easy start to the schedule, but three points is three points. The Jets go out and score 13 or 17 last week, and they score a couple offensive touchdowns, is a different story. You know, they didn't score an offensive touchdown in the first half of the first game of the regular season either. And I get Buffalo has a good defense. The Giants went right down the field and scored on them on the opening drive. And even they put up 17 right. points with Eli Manning's corpse out there. So Adam right. Gase's right. Adam Gase's reputation and the reason he got this job is that he is a quarterback mastermind. He is a guru. And part of doing that is taking a bad situation and performing well on it better than you should. It's kind of a similar thing that we'll talk about a lot with Darnold and, you know, once he's really healthy. If you're a franchise quarterback, you find a way to make plays even if the situation around you is not great. Look at Deshaun Watson. He's had a terrible offensive line his entire career. He's had an average running back his entire career, and he's got what I think is a pretty crappy coaching staff with Bill O'Brien. Now, yes, he has DeAndre Hopkins, but he has all those other things that he overcomes regularly and makes plays. Uh, Patrick Mahomes did not have Tyreek Hill last week. They got rid of Kareem Hunt for... We all the reasons we all know in the off season, and yes, he still has Andy Reid, but he's better than ever. He played one of his best games of his career against yep. Oakland last week, throwing to his backup receivers. So these are not, of course, one to one comparisons, but part of being you know great and taking that next step, and even in Gase's case, living up to his billing here is doing something in less than optimal situations. So 
don't go out and lose 38-3 to to New England like Miami just did, who's openly trying to tank. Have the game be 24-13 at halftime and hang around a little bit and score two or three touchdowns. And yes, you're probably still ultimately going to lose by 21 or 24. But there is a difference between that and being down 28 nothing at halftime with 18 yards of offense. So my hope is that the Jets can find a way to do something a little creative. I think with this week, candidly, if a guy like C.J. Mosley and a guy like Quinn Williams are not 100%, rest them, rest them on the bye week and come back 100%. I'm still not sold that Darnold's going to be ready for the Eagles game. I, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope he is. I feel like we don't see him until Dallas for the second New England game. It just feels like too risky. But you know what? what is your read on how you handle this New England game and then handle some of the various injuries? I, I mean, I... I, I tweeted this out earlier. The the biggest difference on that Jets defense, right, was the, the minute C.J. Mosley went out week one, you saw the impact. And a lot of people were like, well, see, this is why you don't pay him all that money. And I, I completely disagree. I think that's why you pay him all that money. It's it's a testament to how bad this team has drafted for so long that you can just sign an all-pro like C.J. Mosley off the street and he's automatically your best player. Um, you know, as opposed to, like, say you had built up a nucleus and C.J. Mosley adds to what you have as opposed to being all that you have. With that said, I mean, you're going into New England with a backup quarterback. You have Le'Veon Bell. And when one, of the, one of the things that I, I even, again, looking up Le'Veon stats, Le'Veon Bell has gotten a first down on 16% of his carries already, right? That is, so the guy who leads the league in rushing is Dalvin Cook, and he gets a first down on 20% of his carries. So think about that. You have Le'Veon Bell, who's played two games with Sam Darnold at 80%, and then Trevor Simeon and Luke Falk, and he's getting a first down on 16% of his carries. Dalvin Cook has Kirk Cousins, Adam Thiel, and Stephon Diggs, and he's getting a first down on 20% of his carries. So... Again, you don't want to you you don't want to wear out Le'Veon Bell so early. He's already got 38 carries through two games. It's an average of 17 17 carries a game. That's not that's not even when, before we get into the 16 receptions. So again, you're talking about you're talking about he already has 54 touches in two games. That's 27 touches a game. He's on pace for a lot more targets than you would want to you you would want to you'd want to give him in his first year back. And I get that he looks fresh, but. In this game in particular, Adam Gase runs the risk of running him into the ground because it's really the only shot the Jets have. I think that you need Le'Veon Bell to have a monster game. You had tweeted uh, in terms of, I think it was you or Connor, had tweeted in terms of Monday that it was going to have to be a 100-yard total, a 100-total-yard game for Le'Veon Bell. That's exactly what it was. But the game, again, wasn't really close. I think that it's, it would be very frustrating for me if Le'Veon Bell again, is averaging, you know, as many targets as he's, as many touches as he's averaging, and he's worn out by the time Sam Darnold comes back. I think that there's something to be said, what you said, be competitive, come out, maybe Quinn Williams shows you something, right? Because, again, he wasn't playing very well against Buffalo, and then he didn't play last week. Maybe Quinn Williams shows you something. The secondary held up really well with Jermaine Johnson not in there, but, again, this is a different beast, Joe. They're going <laughs> to take out Antonio Brown, Julian Edelman, Josh Gordon. <laughs> Like it's it's a very it's a very different beast altogether than having to defend Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, and and Rashad Higgins is out. It's a very different group. Um, honestly, man, I something tells me that the game may be a little bit closer, but like score wise, but New England really controls it. I do not think the Jets cover. I think they I think they get housed, man, because when you remove Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold gives you a shot, right? And if you had him and Le'Veon Bell, I think you have a shot. But no Sam, no C.J. Mosley. 
Uh, Le'Veon Bell, who had a banged-up shoulder, had to get an MRI before this past Monday night game. You're going into New England on a short week. I just don't see it, man. And, and again, I'm usually the optimist out of us two, but this feels like a blowout. Like, I'm going to go put money on the Patriots <laughs> to end the, end the over because it just it doesn't feel like a good matchup for the Jets. New England, I think, is a legitimate potential 16-0 and team, and I think what's the scariest thing about their team this year, it's not even the offense because who knows how much – more of Antonio Brown we'll see this year. Their defense is as good as it's been during this mini, not mini, this 20-year run for them. It's stacked. Uh, They haven't allowed a touchdown yet uh, this season. Um, It's going to be a a very tough challenge for the Jets. And if you look at their, you know, schedule, I think they have like Baltimore and Kansas City back-to-back in the middle of the year, but they're probably going to be 8-0 to start the year before they get into those games. Uh, and then you know, again, like they're getting my, they get Miami twice, they get the Jets twice, uh, they get the Bills, uh, who you know, while they're off to a good start, I don't think they're ready to beat New England yet. So, for the Jets, in my mind, your best case scenario here is you go out and you you compete more than people expect. You know, you you show up, you do a couple of creative outside the box things, you mix and match, you hang around more than people expect. You get into the bye week, you get healthy. Hopefully, Donald's back against Philly. I'm not betting on it. I think it's more likely he's back either for the Dallas or New England game. But the right. Jets' goal at this point is to win one of these next four that everyone's assuming they're going to lose. And I think everyone's right to assume they're going to lose these next four. It's New England, Philly, Dallas, Philly. I'm sorry, New England again. And 0-6 is, man, I mean, 0-6 is... you. I, in my mind, you start 0-6, like... Everything you kind of do after that is like, eh, like whatever. Like the Giants have had yeah. some of these seasons yeah. like recently where they start 0-6 or 0-7 and you win a few here or there, but your 0-6, your season's over. You know, one, I'm not saying 1-5 is miles better, but if they win one of those games, that's going to be a massive upset and maybe it galvanizes them a little bit. Um, there are wins in the middle of the schedule. I don't necessarily think it's quite the cupcake that some do. I have seen some people being like, well, they're just going to rip off 9-10 in a row. And it's like, hold on, like, is playing in Jacksonville against that defense, like, that easy? I'm I'm not sure about it. Is Cincinnati and Oakland, like, complete pushovers? I I don't know. I mean, Cincinnati gave Seattle a game. Oakland beat Denver and hung with Kansas City for a little bit. Yes, you get Miami twice. Yes, you get the Giants. Um, They're going to be some games that the Jets will be favorites in and probably should win. And, you know, there should be the signs of doing some kind of mini run there, but... I don't know. The question is, can you win one of these next four? Because starting 0-6 is, with especially with an entire new coaching staff, is is something. And I, mm-hmm. I just hope they can avoid it. I mean, what are you hoping for at this point? Yeah, I mean, 0-6, I'll tell you this. You'll start getting like a bunch of mock draft articles from me via email, like five a week or something like that for 0-6. Um, I mean, you asked me that you, in the beginning of the show, we talked about, like I had them, I thought they were an 8-9 to nine win team, right? I, I figured, I was like, you know what? They'll beat Buffalo, right, because I, I felt like that was a good matchup for them. And I thought that they could steal the Cleveland game because I did feel like Cleveland, and again, I'm not, Cleveland has gotten off to a really ugly start. The only thing, the only thing I think that saved them was the fact that Sam Darnold was hurt because I think if Sam Darnold was in there and C.J. Mosley was in there, I do think the Jets take that game. Cleveland, does, Cleveland looks like a team that's just, it, it seemed like they're in for a really, really rocky season. Um, but I figured I was like, if you get off to a 2-0 start because of the schedule you just mentioned, right, where you, you get new, you get New England, then you have the bye, then you have Philly, then you have Dallas, and you have New England again. Even if at that point you're two and four, I think you set yourself up nice for maybe a second half run at nine and seven or eight and eight. I think if you're zero and six, man, like 
you need to start scouting Jerry Judy highlights and just start breaking down his film because I think, and we need to start looking at who the free agents that are available because I think also it's interesting because a lot of people, you know, have said that Gase is not on the hot seat and I understand the built-in excuse of the Darnold sickness and the Mosley injuries, but we again we've said this time and time again, a good coach comes, a good coach is able to survive that. Doug Peterson lost his MVP and his left tackle, and was able to win a Super Bowl with his backup quarterback. The, the Patriots have constantly lost guys and been able to being able to stay competitive. If you're a co- the, the, the Chiefs, you alluded to, lost Tariq Hill, lost Kareem Hunt, still have Andy Reid. Andy Reid was able to figure it out. I think if you're a coach worth your salt in this league, you figure it out. And Adam Gase, this is it's interesting, man, because this these next four games kind of feel like a crossroads for Adam Gase. Because if the Jets come out of this four game swing, two and two, right? So say they take the Philly game, and say they take one of the New England games. Say by some act of, you know, whatever God you pray to, Sam is healthy for the second New England game and they win. Then suddenly you're two and four, but you came out, you can't, you're, you're two and four, but you came out of that four game swing in decent shape to be playing meaningful games come the end of October, beginning of November. I think the Jets, I don't know, man. I, I look at the schedule and I think 0-6 is absolutely doable. And I would hate for Sam to rush back. And I know they're talking about, like, you know, his enlarged spleen and et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people are like, oh, Mono's not a big deal. The last thing you want is for him to try to come back when he's not 100%. And because he's not 100%, he gets himself hurt even more out there. So I think 0-6 is absolutely realistic for this team at this point. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to be cautious with the guy. I mean, this is, like, serious, yeah, serious yeah. stuff here. If he's not, like, one absolutely 100%, like, give him the extra week. Like, think about the rest of his contract. Think about his health first and foremost, of course, never mind his contract. Um, like, don't right. – just don't, you can't push the guy out before he's, don't get like – cute. Yeah, yeah, it's like – <laughs> you got to be safe here. So if you got to sacrifice the week in New England, like I mean, sorry, the week in Philly, like it's fine. I mean, we'll obviously we'll get a better assess- yes. assessment coming out of it, out of the bye week. And I got to tell you, it's going to be if they lose in New England in the way that I think is reasonable to anticipate them losing. I'm very, very, very interested to see what the chatter is over the bye week and what rumblings we start to hear. Uh, coming out mm-hmm. of the organization, coming out of this coaching staff, uh, you know, it, people could say no hot seat, whatever they want. You know, the reality is, is right. you know, you start zero and three, coming off back to back seasons where you had a losing record somewhere else. The the questions are going to start to get asked, and they they rightly should. And yeah. I think, you know, a lot of and we could wrap with this point. I think the Jets got ridiculed a lot for their timing on firing Mike McCagnan. Uh, ultimately, they got Joe Douglas, a guy who was considered a top-tier candidate. So, you know, I think the thought was that, you know what, in the end, it ended up being kind of okay, and this is something the teams are doing more often. I think where it really hurt them, and, you know, free agency is one thing, the draft is another, and you mm-hmm. have this last... Mm-hmm. Mac McCannon did such a bad job in his first four years of drafting, and he gets this fifth year, and you just look at this class that Adam Gase has very publicly not wanted to attach his name to and been like, I really wasn't involved with that process. I, you know, I don't really remember, yada, yada. The guys the guys who did that draft are gone, and they're not Joe Douglas's guys. Mm-hmm. And I look at this six-person draft class, and I know this might seem like an extreme take. If I had to bet right now... The only two players from that draft class who are on the 2020 team are Quentin Williams and Blake Cashman. I am not sold that Blasson yeah. Austin ever plays a snap here. Ja'Kai Polite's cut already. Chuma Doga was inactive, so he's not even the top tack- backup tackle right now. Trevin Wesco's buried on the depth chart, and I was 
shaky about that pick when it happened anyway. Could again, it's early, it's so early, but these are not the new front office's guys, and I would not be surprised if you know that we look back at that draft class as a two-person draft class ultimately. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, and I've, I've been thinking about this a lot too. Like, just thinking, had you hired Joe Douglas in January, like, what what difference would it have made? Does does Douglas trade back, right? Does he trade back even within the division to try to get extra picks because he realizes that this is not this is not a, a one year fix, right? Does Joe Douglas opt to go, you know, go harder after Mitch Morse or Matt Paradis, who again I wanted Morse, I didn't want Paradis, but you you. McCagney ignored the center position badly enough that Joe Douglas had to go get Ryan Khalil out of retirement. <laughs> like that's that's how that's how that's how shaky Adam Gase was about Jonathan Harrison starting. Which I mean, I guess at this point it doesn't hurt to plug him in and sit Khalil because Khalil's clearly not in game shape and he didn't play at all in preseason. Um, I think even even with Q man, like again, and I, and I was adamant about this. I thought it made absolutely no sense to take another interior defensive lineman. I thought you should have gone with the edge rusher in, in good Josh Allen. If you weren't going to go with the edge rusher, you had to trade back so that you can get an offensive lineman or a corner or something like that. And if at the very worst you wanted to take the uh, the interior defensive lineman, take the better one. Take Ed Oliver, who's been making plays for Buffalo. I just... I. I find it mind-boggling that, like, you're right. Like, think about this. If this class turns into a two-person class, a two-person class, then that means that Mike McCagnin, and a lot of people were like, oh, well, when the Jets make the playoffs this year, Mike McCagnin has to be executive of the year. What? <laughs> like, like he, he left his team so bare with no talent, no middle, no middle class of the roster that can sustain injuries to their top tier guys to the point that they had to go and pay above market value to go get some top tier difference makers. It's it's insane, man. And again, people people want to get mad at us, and they're like, "Oh, don't dance on McCagnin's grave," and blah blah blah. And, and again, nobody's doing that. But it is it is it is telling that C.J. Mosley goes down. Avery Williamson was already down. So now the best inside linebacker on the team is a fifth-round draft pick that the guy drafted who had injury concerns. I get Blake Cashman's in a nice surprise, but he also had injury concerns in Minnesota. And then the the top three pick that McCagney took hasn't has only played half a game. I, I, it's definitely concerning, and it's something that Joe Douglas Joe Douglas has his work cut out for him because this roster is not a good roster right now in terms of just absolutely lacking depth and being able to sustain these injuries for their top tier guys. It's a tall order for Joe Douglas, man. Again, it's just yeah. about roster construction and where you're concentrating your resources, which is, again, it's like you, you can only put so much into interior defensive linemen, inside linebacker, and safety, particular interior defensive linemen. And that's why I think any discussion of Leonard Williams getting a second contract and he's proven it with these first two games is crazy talk, man. Don't tell me that you can't put Kyle Phillips out there and send in Leonard Williams, and it's it's going to have a negligible impact on where the Jets' defense is ranked and what their final record is this year. Take all that money you were going to pay him, start Quinton Williams in his spot, and spread that money on the offensive line and a cornerback. Like, get out of here with giving that guy any type of a massive contract. How many games do we have to watch where he is less notable than noticeable than... Terrell Basham and Kyle Phillips and Foley Fancasi. Right. He's just another guy out there, maybe two thirds of the season. So that they just have to change how the roster is built overall. And, you know, it's just it's frustrating to watch because you go into that Cleveland game and say, Cleveland's got a bad offensive line. They got beat up by Tennessee. He was probably going to be seven and nine this year. This big, bad defensive yep. line that the Jets invested so much money in, go dominate the game. And 
Didn't happen. Defense played well, but that was more on the, the new stitch together secondary than the defensive line dominating up front because Nick Chubb was able to pop in in the first half. And the Jets really never hit Baker Mayfield at all. So it is what it nope. is at this point. Any final words, Dalvin, before we sign off and head into week three? Yeah, I mean, it's good that we didn't put the, the Super Bowl tickets on the TOJ credit card, man. This would have been rough. Uh, you know, I mean, I think it's I'm super glad that football is back. Uh, I will not take my victory lap for Lamar Jackson just yet. I will hold on to it. Um, but I do think that the Jets are in a very good position. And, and to your, to just the point that we talked about, this is a built-in excuse to not fire Adam Gase at the end of the year. <laughs> because if you, if you, again, you don't have Sam Darnold for six games, I think Joe Douglas may look at it and say, see, how could I properly, properly assess you, you know, and then assess the job that you did if you didn't have your quarterback. But the, the fear with that for me is that, again, you're losing a year of Le'Veon Bell's prime because you didn't have Sam Darnold for half the season. It's been, listen, Joe, when, when Vinny Testaverde got hurt, you know, the year after the AFC title game and towards ACL, I was like, man, that's probably the craziest thing I'm ever going to see as a Jets fan when it relates to quarterbacks. And then when I saw Mark Sanchez injure his shoulder in the Snoopy Bowl, I thought, man, that's probably going to be the craziest thing I see as a Jets fan for my quarterback. And then when Geno Smith got his jaw rocked, I was like, oh, man, that's definitely the craziest thing. And now Sam Darnold has mono. So, I mean, yeah, it is what it is right at this point. All right. Dalvin, thank you. Everybody, thank you for listening. We will be back next Thursday with a new episode. Keep trucking along. We're going we're gonna to carry you through the season with, the, with these takes. And uh, we'll be back next week.